Have you ever longed to escape reality or fantasized about stepping into someone else's shoes, even for just a little while? Hi, I'm Laura Mullen. And I'm Chris Hawley. We host CBC's Play Me, the immersive podcast that transforms theater into addictive audio fiction. Join us for a new season and disappear into a world rich with drama, where every show delivers hypnotizing stories and unveils intriguing characters with secrets. Play me wherever you get your podcasts. This is a CBC Podcast. Hey, I'm Tom Power. Welcome to Q. So one of the strange things about being a really great actor, like a truly great actor, is that you can be so great that it's invisible. Or like, you can be so great that your greatness is taken for granted. Like, I don't know, like someone like Meryl Streep or Daniel Day-Lewis, when they show up on your screen, you think like, oh yeah, there's an actor. That's someone who's acting. But take Paul Giamatti. He's one of the most in-demand actors of our time. You've almost definitely seen him in something that you love. But there's a theory out there that he's so good that he's not considered great, if that makes sense. That's led to him being called the best actor that's never been nominated for best actor. Paul first got a lot of attention for playing Howard Stern's boss uh, in the movie Private Parts, WNBC. He has some great stories about that. He got a lot of attention for his role in the movie uh, Sideways by the director Alexander Payne. And now, thanks to his performance you might have seen this year in another movie by Alexander Payne, The Holdovers, Paul's been finally nominated for best actor in the Oscars. So The Holdover, just quickly, is about a, a Christmas holiday at a boys' prep school where Paul's character, who's this curmudgeonly teacher, goes through a bit of catharsis with a student that he comes to grudgingly like. Anyway, Paul and I cover a lot here. How making this movie reminded him of his own experience going to these massive American prep schools, why he wanted to shout out teachers at his speech at the Golden Globes this year, how the death of a parent can motivate you in strange ways, why it was important that his character in private parts be called Pig Vomit and not Pig Virus, that'll make sense, and why he's happy the big nomination when it finally came, came when he's a little older. Here's my conversation with Paul Giamatti. How are you? I'm good, man. How are you? I'm not too. For having me. I'm not too. I'm not as good as you. Best actor, pretty good. <laughs> yeah, not bad. Yeah, feels good. <laughs> yes. How do you yeah, How do you cool. find that thing? Is that a phone call? <laughs> yeah, actually, it is. I mean, I got a phone call from my manager, uh, who, who who yeah called me and told me I didn't watch it on TV. You could watch it on TV, but I didn't have the guts to watch it on TV, so I was asleep. I said, I'm just going to sleep and somebody will tell me what happened. And that's what happens. Is that like avoidance? Like if I don't watch it, I don't have to know whether it came up or no? Yes. Pure avoidance. Just fear. Just not wanting to, just nerves and fear and anxiety and not wanting to, to know. And somebody else will tell me it'll be easier to hear from somebody else. Is there a, uh, is there a celebration? Is there a woohoo of, you know? Oh, sure. Of course. Yes. No, there's great joy. And then, and then it's a, then it's a wonderful thing and it really is. And I can feel good about it. I definitely do. Very much so. I'm, I'm glad to hear. And I loved the in and out uh, when you won the Golden Globe, the picture of you at in and out Burger. Now, Had I, I been in that. Los Angeles, I would have gone an in and out Burger after finding out that I'd gotten them. I would definitely, I love in and out Burger. It's just not as fun to go to five guys, you know? No, it isn't. It's not quite <laughs> good. Yeah. I like them. Yeah. But it's not quite the same thing. Um, I, so I love the holdovers. Um, so I'm trying to be careful about how I say this. I know when <laughs> Alexander Payne was making it, he had an era on his mind. 
And mm-hmm. he was thinking about the 1970s. The, he, so he was very careful about the cinematographer that he chose and the director of photography yeah. that he chose. He was very careful about the coloring of the film. He was very careful about like the poster of the film, all sort of looking back into mm-hmm. those eras of like 70s films, like maybe like The Graduate mm-hmm. or something like that. Mm-hmm. Does that impact your acting performance at all? Are you acting like any other film, any other sort of modern film? But does the knowledge that he sees this as sort of an older style film impact your acting? Probably at some levels, yes. I mean, it does. But in in kind of just an unconscious, imaginative way, you're saying these things to me, it seeds something in my imagination that feeds into kind of what I wanted the guy to look like. And, you know, whether it's I mean, I think I think mostly what that says to me is very kind of human and humanist filmmaking, you know, stuff that was very kind of centered on kind of characters and humans. So I know that like kind of, you know, it's it's going to be very sort of naturalistic and gritty and things like that and very kind of like tactile kind of movie and sort of acting. Um, so it, it, it does all feed in there. I don't consciously think I was doing anything different, but I must have been, you know, I mean, it's like something about it is manifesting and is kind of. Kind of something you know, something sparking in my imagination that must be doing something, you know. So it fits the it fits the tone of the 1970s. I understand what you mean. It wasn't like you were saying like, "Oh, I'm going to be like Dustin Hoffman here. I'm going to move my no, arms I mean, like I Dustin Hoffman." Or, yeah, 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 yeah. No, I wasn't consciously doing anything. But it's such an evocative thing to me to to say that that it's operating on my mind somehow. You know, um, the 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 character is uh, Paul Hunnam, the 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 boarding school teacher. Really interesting character, sort of curmudgeonly, um, a loner, not well-liked by the students or or the faculty, kind of bullied. Also kind of sweet, um, incredibly smart, um, and, and, and sort of desperate to be liked and, and has all kinds of, kinds of problems. I can tell by your faces that many of you are shocked at the outcome. I, on the other hand, am not because I have had the misfortune of teaching you this semester and even with my ocular limitations, I witness firsthand your glazed, uncomprehending expressions. Sir, I don't understand. That's glaringly apparent. No, it's... uh, I can't fail this class. Oh, don't sell yourself short, Mr. Coates. I truly believe that you can. I'm supposed to go to Cornell. Unlikely. When you read the script and you start to investigate this character, what resonates to you about this character? Uh, I think that sense of someone who has created an elaborate kind of persona that they're hiding behind a little bit. There's something about that that's very meaningful to me. Somebody sort of, you know, I went to schools like this. I was taught by guys like this. I grew up around my father's colleagues. They're these incredibly smart guys hiding behind this sort of smarts you know hiding a lot of like damage and insecurity behind intelligence and holding it all together behind that and i thought that was very interesting and and, and that kind of thing and watching that sort of fall away from a person is interesting even though in alexander's movies what's great is it falls away enough and then it goes back on you know it's like it doesn't ever the armor never fully comes off of the people in his movies like they're still they still will put their their armature on and they still will they never totally free of themselves i don't think which which is kind of actually real life i don't think it, you know yeah. people don't change yeah. that much no. they just grow a little tiny bit but hold on you, you were saying yeah. so you, this i mean i should say for people who haven't seen this it's set at this like 
New England. Uh, we don't really have schools like this in Canada. Or at least I didn't go to schools like this in Canada. Like, well, you must have this. You must have schools like this. You think Canada. so? Schools like this, you must. Yeah, I guess there's it's, Upper Canada College. Ties, I know about yeah, it. Yeah, your ties to England. You know, I mean, they're all an imitation of British schooling. You must have stuff like this somewhere in Canada. You must. Right. These kind of schools. I guess so. I, I, you know, I'm, I'm from a weird part of Canada, like way out on the East Coast, and <laughs> I sort of grew up on a barge in the middle of the North Atlantic, so I don't know about this at all. It was, it was more like Lord of the Flies than uh, an education. <laughs> Excellent. But, 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 but you, you went you, you went. I'm going to hear from my home province now. That's uh, fantastic. Uh, you... you um, you go to this. You 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 you're going. To, you went to this boarding school that felt felt yes. like this. Oh yes, very much so. I went to a boarding school only about ten years after this movie takes place. I did not board there, but I went to a school like this, and there still were a lot of these men, and they were all men who had been teaching there forever, and who were kind of bitter and sort of stuck in their lives, but had but had found this thing that to them was you know, was comfortable and they were there and they were masters of their domain or whatever you want to say in these places. And so I was familiar with it. Yeah, very much so. And one of the, one of the actors in the, the, the main, um, uh, uh, Dominic Sessa, the co-star of this yeah. film, uh, one of the students at the school, right? He was a student at one of the school. We shot at five different schools to create the one school because each school had sort of a feature of it that worked. And then he made sort of one school out of it. And there was a school called Deerfield Academy, and he was a student there. And they happened to find him. They went to do a kind of general call to see if there were kids they could use as extras or in little parts with a few lines. And they had not found a person to play that part yet. And he came in. And now there's a there's a way in which that guy looked 70s. There's something very 70s looking about him already he seems like something out of one of those movies and so it, it that fit the whole vibe of it too you know as you were talking at the beginning about what is it about the 70s thing like he found somebody that looked 70s to act with you know so it was kind of great he also found someone for you to act against that has never acted before yeah but i you wouldn't have known it no wonder you're afraid of women i am not afraid of women sorry Jesus. i shouldn't have said anything it's Dr. Gertler says I don't always give consideration to my audience. Oh. And who is Dr. Gertler? My shrink. Hmm. Has Dr. Gertler ever tried a good swift kick in the ass? Okay. All right, now your turn. Go ahead. Tell me something about me. The kid was incredibly grounded, smart, very good, really good. I I didn't I didn't ever feel that I was working with somebody hugely inexperienced or anything like that. He was remarkably calm, remarkably confident about it, you know, and he, he was a former athlete, hockey player. And I often think athletes make good actors because they, they want to get in there and play the game and they want to know, what do you want me to do? You know, what do you, you know, coach, tell me what to do. And so I think he had that sort of attitude, good work ethic. I felt like I was working with a guy who had done, bunch of films already that that being said is there uh, i'm always interested in the the idea of like a, a beginner's mind that you can only be a beginner once so you this mm -hmm. actor who's been in the business for a couple of decades now right and yeah, mm -hmm. uh, when you have been on a lot of a lot of things just a lot of tv yeah. a lot of yeah. film and you're yeah. watching someone across from you act in a big thing or kind of act really for the very very first time yeah. is there anything you're you're experiencing anything you're acknowledging anything you see i 
Yes. And I think that there was a way in which his freshness and his newness and his beginner's mind made me slow down a little bit and be a little bit more reflective about things and actually sort of go, okay, here I am. I'm going to be putting into effect all of this experience I supposedly have. Is it, does it work? Is it good? You know, like, do I have this right? And uh, wake uh, up, uh, help me understand that better. What, what do you mean? I reflect, I just sort of felt like I could, you know, because you get in there with somebody who's done it a million times. There's a certain, not autopilot, but there's a kind of practiced thing. I can get in there and do your thing fast for you. You know what I mean? But he would, he was slowing down and he didn't know certain technical things, or he would have a lot of questions about his character. Or he wasn't sure about something. He just was more kind of thoughtful and kind of approaching it new and open in this way that made me slow down and, and maybe just go like, whoa, 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 wait a second. Like, I could be a little bit more thoughtful about this than I usually am. You know what I mean? I can be a little bit more, let me see, you know, let me just slow down for a second like this guy is and sort of like not not worry about getting it done and getting on to the next thing. You know what I mean? There was something very kind of lovely about that. Right, because when you, you know? first started going on to sets, when you first started acting, you were that guy. You were like, what is this? Where is that light? What do I do here? <laughs> yes, I was that guy. I totally was that guy. Yeah. Absolutely. I don't know if I had that effect on anybody. But I, definitely, <laughs> I definitely, I don't know if I had the same effect, but I was definitely that guy for sure. You know, and he's learning and it's that learning process makes me, made me slow down and enjoy it and savor it and reflect on it a little bit more. Um, your, your, um, so your, your dad was the president of Yale. Is that right? Yes. And then yes. it went on to work in, so, so surrounded by academia, similar kind of thing to what we're yeah. talking about here. All, all teachers, all over the place in my family. Everybody's a teacher. Yeah. And then um, your mom was a teacher. When you won your Golden Globe, I thought the, the speech and the dedication was really uh, lovely. Just take a listen to this. It's a movie about a teacher. Uh, I play a teacher in it. My whole family, they're teachers. All of them, going back generations. Teachers are good people. Got to respect them. They do a good thing. It's a tough job. So this is for teachers as well. Thanks, guys. Thank you. Why did you, um, why did you do that? Well, because I think I had been thinking a lot about people have been talking to me about the setting and the fact of a teacher. And, you know, what, is he a good teacher? Is he a bad teacher? Does he learn to be a better teacher? I was thinking about teaching a lot. It, the whole thing made me think about my family a lot, too. You know, and I was drawing on a lot of memories and things from my upbringing and stuff. So teaching and teachers was very present to me. And something very moving to me about the end of this movie, when he says goodbye to the kid, I'm giving away stuff, but whatever. <laughs> when he says goodbye to the kid, you realize that teachers do that over and over and over and over again. They say goodbye to kids that they become attached to. Good teachers, they get attached to a lot of them. This guy was attached to one, and he's never going to see this kid again. And there's something about it that just teaching was very much in the forefront of my mind. And while I've been walking around talking about this movie, it's still in the forefront of my mind. So when you get up on stage, you think to yourself, I'm going to, I'm going to make sure. Teachers I did actually. I sort of thought, yeah, I'm going to say something about teachers, you know, because it's like, it's tough right now in America for teachers. I mean, it's always tough for teachers. It's a tough job. I thought about being a teacher. You know, there's a kind of an assumption I would be a teacher because everybody was a teacher in my family. So, of course, everybody's just going to go into teaching. It's like the family business, you know, but I didn't. And What, what, you know, ha what, what happened? Why not? I don't think I would have been any good at it. I don't think I would have been very good at it. And I think the idea, I mean, I loved acting. So that's really what I loved. And I don't think the idea of spending all of my time studying, you know, 
15th century Portuguese poetry or something. I just was like, <laughs> this is not going to work for me. You know, so it was like, I, I just, it wasn't going to, it wasn't going to. I needed more adventure and excitement in my life. I needed the action-packed life of a professional entertainer. When when did you know, you said you I loved acting. When did you know you loved acting? Always. I always loved play acting and I always loved dressing up and being a character from the time I was a little kid, even just running around the house. I was just a thing we were, I was constantly doing and my brother and sister were constantly doing with each other. And the, I always looked forward every year to the kind of silly school play that we would do, whatever, I, it didn't matter, you know, play a tree kind of thing. I was out of my mind with excitement to, to be in a, in a play. So I always loved it. It wasn't until I sort of graduated from college, I thought maybe I can do this professionally. Maybe I could actually do it. It's a it's a funny decision to make, um, and 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 not to um, presuppose anything. But um, I always find the idea of like choosing a path in the arts, where it's it's a hard road. Grat- gratitude yeah. is assumed, but it's a hard road, and a lot, a lot, a lot, a lot, a lot of the time, it doesn't work out. Yes. And and you got a, a dad who's I mean this might be TMI, but I'll ask it. You have a father who is uh, the president of Yale. Then it's like commissioner of Major League Baseball for a while. Is that right? Yeah, very briefly. Very briefly. Yep. High level stuff in in, mm-hmm. in the United States mm-hmm. <laughs> to choose to be a, an actor, uh-huh. full of, a life full of risk. Not an easy discussion, I would assume, with, with the folks. No, no. Uh, well, no, actually, you first of all, one of the things I have is my dad died before I made the choice to be an actor. Uh, but yeah. I think part of the reason I did decide to do it was his death it was very destabilizing. But it was also you watched the guy who did all this remarkable stuff and was gone like that. But also, he was 10,000% a guy who would say to everybody, you have to do something you love. If you can do something you love, you have to do that. And I know that in his mind, he said it once to, after seeing me in a play in, in college. He said, you're doing the thing you're supposed to be doing. And I knew that in his mind, it was the right thing for me to do and I should do it. And so it took me some courage because I was scared to do it. But I did do it because I think he would have totally been fine with me doing it. Absolutely. Absolutely. I, I I can relate to you on that. I'm, I I started doing this kind of work. Um, I I got to tell my dad I got this a job at the CBC. That's awesome. And I was moving to Toronto, and he died. Awesome. And he died two weeks later. But at least he died knowing. That's awesome. You know what I mean? Yes. Yeah. And that's the thing is, I know my dad died before I made the decision to do it. Before I did, he never saw me act professionally. Nothing. But I know that he thought I should do it. I know that he would have been fine with it, and I know he thought I should do it. So somehow I know he knows I did it, and so you know, whatever. That's 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 a, that's a and that's a beautiful thing. A lot of the times it's like, oh he, uh, oh he died, so it's, yeah. so I can do it, you know? <laughs> yeah, well, I'm free to do whatever the hell I want. No, but no, he would have absolutely he would have been fine. With it. He wouldn't have had a problem with it. He just wasn't, you know, he took weird risks. It was a weird thing to go from being the president of Yale to being the commissioner of baseball. And a lot of people were like, what the hell are you doing? And what is this guy doing here? You know, I mean, he was a kind of a risk taker in his own way. You know, he wasn't sure he was doing the right thing, taking this leap into a completely different world. You come out of Yale. Um, Yale acting, I'm assuming, Shakespearean e stuff, uh, pretty high the drama level. School. I went to the graduate school there. Yeah, they do a lot of Shakespeare training. Yeah, you yeah. C- you come out of that school, 
And one of the first roles, if not the first role, the big role you get is the is the pig vomit in <laughs> in private parts. I'm not, yeah. I, and I'm not saying that with a joke because I'm of the Whoa. age that that was a killer movie for me. It's a great movie. I've, I had, I gotta tell you, it holds up. It's a great movie. Here at NBC, this is real radio, and the first thing you've got to do is say the call letters properly. Okay. Now, I'm going to teach you how to sing. All right, and you know, I hope you can get them because see, you don't have a real good voice like IMS, Captain Frank, and nothing. So we're going to have to practice it. What a thing, though, to come from Shakespeare, Yale Drama School to. Well, yes, to come from Shakespeare to, to, into that, but I was all for that. I mean, it was the kind of thing. I mean, to do Shakespeare would be great. I didn't do much Shakespeare, but then to land in that. But you know, in a way, a character like that is kind of got this big size i mean it's a big ridiculous over-the-top clown part you know that has its that you know isn't that far from feeling shakespearean in some ways i mean <laughs> all these kind of big crazy screaming arias that i have in this thing and it's kind of you know there's something about it you know the the scope and the size starts to feel a little bit epic with that character it's a great movie it really is for for people who don't know pig vomit is is howard stern's actual old boss at w pig virus pig, pig virus you pig virus yes was the yes. name of the real guy some reason, for some reason he had to change the name yeah but but he called the real guy pig virus and then in the movie he's called pig virus. Well, <laughs> glad he was sensitive. So, <laughs> of all the things that Howard Stern could change in his life. Yeah, totally. I'm like, did the guy trademark his name? I'm like, what's the brain? Did he get sued? Did you call him Pig Virus? Really funny. Anyway. So for people who don't know, Pig Virus was the was this real real guy, uh, uh, the, the the head of WNBC on, uh, uh, in, in, um, that Howard would work for. It was driving. Howard drove him crazy. He used to put him on the air. He used to go to his office. It was his real foil the way it said properly is WNBC this is key come on WNBC no no you gotta be more like this <clears throat> listen up WNBC you hear that kind of lift the NBC I heard a story about you I don't know if this is true or not which is a very really Howard Stern way to ask a question by the way uh, yes. I heard the, <laughs> I, I heard this. I heard this thing about you. You got to tell me whether this is true exactly, or not. That's totally right. That's very. That's, that's very Howard Stern right there. It is. It is. That um, you didn't know this was a real person when you when you signed on. No, and I. I mean, I'd listened to Howard, but not enough to know all the sorts of ins and outs. And so, at one point, around the middle of doing the movie, he said to me, "Boy, how'd you? You must have studied this guy. I mean, how'd you? How'd you get this guy down so perfectly?" And I thought, "What are you talking about?" And he said, "Well, I mean, did you watch?" What is your guy? Did you listen to him? I said, this was a real guy? And he said, yes. And I was horrified, actually, because I thought, I'm making this man look like the biggest jackass on the planet. And this is a real person uh -huh. who is now going to walk around their life. And people are going to be like, is that you in that movie? And I felt, I felt bad in a way. It didn't stop me from pursuing the, the character the way he needed to be. But I was shocked to know that I was playing a real person in there. <laughs> have to see this movie and their family and kids are going to have to see this movie and go, that's my dad in this movie. That's, I mean, that's a, that's a, that's a lovely way of thinking about it. Well, it's an interesting thing. I did a, I did a, a movie about the beach boys in which I played a horrible guy named Dr. Eugene Landy. Brian Wilson's uh, psychologist, psychiatrist, psychologist, crazy yeah. manager, psychologist. It was a really sketchy figure. 
And even in that, I felt sort of like, I'm making this guy so horrendous. And he was not a good guy. But I thought he's got like kids and stuff. And I'm like, oh, it's, it, there's something, there's a, there's a sort of funny kind of guilt I sometimes can feel playing a real person who's still alive. Yeah. And I'm like, well, that, that they're alive. And they have to sort of see this and, and, and deal with this thing that I'm putting out there in the world that I, I hope it's not makes their it doesn't make their lives worse in some way you I mean, know I, I that's lovely i mean your your concern could be i don't want to run into them in an alley somewhere and you know <laughs> well there's that too <laughs> more apology amati coming up uh he's going to talk a little bit about what it's been like to reunite with alexander payne 20 years after paul got a lot of attention for being in his film sideways yeah more of my conversation with paul giamatti after this Are vegans actually unhealthy? Does cannabis ruin your sleep? And why are so many men taking testosterone supplements? I'm Mitch. And I'm Greg. And we're the creators of the popular YouTube channel, ASAP Science. Every week on our podcast, Side Note by ASAP Science, we explain the science behind a controversial subject with recent research, up-to-date studies, and ridiculous stories so you are entertained while, bam, simultaneously learning. We're here to make science make sense. Download Side Note by ASAP Science wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Tom Power. You're in the middle of my conversation with the actor Paul Giamatti, who's up for Best Actor, the Best Actor Oscar for his role in The Holdovers. Paul Giamatti has been called the best actor never to get nominated for Best Actor. Until now, I guess. Anyway, for this part of our conversation, we go through a couple of roles that have meant a lot to him over the years. I should say The Holdovers, this film that he's nominated for this year, is the second film he's made with the American director Alexander Payne. His first was his big breakout role in this movie about wine and masculinity called Sideways. And Alexander Payne is this director who can be kind of mysterious if you read about his movies at all. Like, there's obviously something that sets him apart from other directors, but it's never been really clear to me what that is. So I asked Paul Giamatti about it, and his answer, while it's super inside filmmaking, was still really interesting. Here's the rest of our conversation. One of the first movies that you got critical acclaim for was, of course, Sideways, which is the other Alexander Payne project that, 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 that kind of blew up. I don't think somebody really takes the time to understand Pino's potential can then coax it into its fullest expression. And then, I mean, oh, it's flavors. They're just the most haunting and brilliant and thrilling and subtle and ancient on the planet. <laughs> when you walked back on set to do the holdovers after doing a lot of stuff in between, were there were there characteristic things that you remembered from the first time with Alexander Payne that you went, "Oh yeah, this feels familiar. This mm-hmm. this is how this set works." Yeah. Rehearsing was something in the way we rehearsed, the reading things over and over again, the kind of collegial thing he would do sort of hanging out watching movies he'd say let's watch the last detail this is a good and he really wanted dominic to see these movies watch movies Pointing with you to... yeah we'll sit and watch movies with alexander he'll have he'll, sometimes he'll screen them for the whole crew because he'll just be like let's watch some movies and he's wanted to get it in people's heads that 70s thing a little bit not to literally do anything but just to get people in the spirit of it and then you know you walk on set and it was interesting because 
I talk about this a lot with him, and this was the same. It hadn't changed, and there was no reason for it to change. But he doesn't use a video monitor. So he, in in other words, it, it, you know, he doesn't have this kind of, there's the set where everybody's being filmed, and then there's a live video feed that goes to another sort of room where everybody's sitting, the producers and everybody are sitting around watching a screen. And he eliminates that. He doesn't have that. So that you actually, it, it creates a very different environment because it's not a hierarchical or divided workspace anymore it's one place where everybody's working together and that's a huge difference i can't tell you what a difference that makes let, let me do I'm, I'm, uh, for for people like me who are listening yeah. to this never been on a set before let me make sure i understand yeah. it um yes. there there is normally uh the the performance shot by cameras that feed yes. then goes to a room where producers or wherever and- there's a separate space that's and there's a there's a video monitor and you're watching it they watch it there that most of the time, most movie sets you go to, and for the past 40 years, longer. And these are the I who? Mean, the muckety mucks? The... the muckety mucks. And it's a lot of the muckety mucks. And to me, it makes it hierarchical and it makes it feel like this is where all the important people are and all the schmucks are over here doing the grunt work right. and stuff. Everybody's sort of sitting over there. That gets eliminated so that there's no long, and there's also it's a big waste of time moving the thing around and having, and all of the, it changes everything. But with all of a sudden, everybody's working together. He sits right by the camera. He keeps the crew pretty streamlined. It's not a big, huge crew. You eliminate all the guys who have to do the video for you. It's a whole thing. And it's like, and you have this much more kind of streamlined, small, close, intimate set because he's right next to the camera and he'll talk to you sometimes while the scene's going. Or if you have a if you have a, a solo scene where you have anything to say, he'll talk to you while it's going on. And it's it's incredibly different and special and really, really warm and intimate. It's really nice. I, I love that. Uh, just being ca- cautious of time here. I got. I got. I wanted to ask you. This is a Canadian show. Um, <laughs> you won a, a Golden Globe for playing uh, for your role in the film adaptation of uh, a book very familiar familiar to a lot of Canadians. Yeah. Uh, Barney's version, uh, written by the great Mordecai Mordecai Richler. What are you doing here? Run away with me. What? Run away with me. Or or stay with me. I don't care. Or I can go with you. Are you out of your mind? No, I'm I'm I'm. Bent over backwards in love with you, Miriam. I'm I'm the heels overhead. <laughs> tell me something. T- t- tell me something you remember about shooting that in Montreal. Oh, I just loved being in Montreal in general. It was cold and it was lovely, but it was uh, it was fantastic. I mean, to be able to absorb the specific atmosphere of that place was fantastic. And I had poutine for the first time in my life. So I remember that. But I loved making that movie. And Montreal was fantastic to shoot in. Loved it. Um, yeah, poutine, poutine's pretty good. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry, that's all I, that's, that was my first memory was poutine. But I, I definitely loved having the, the poutine in, in Montreal. But it was it was awesome. And I felt a great sense of responsibility. I was like making this real Canadian thing and i'm not canadian and you know i was like i wanted to make sure i didn't screw it up and hopefully i didn't it's like john adams for us sure (laughs) 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 that that hard drinking cigar smoking (laughs) tv producers very very john adams for you guys absolutely um this is this is a, a a funny uh thing for you to be I guess to have perspective on, but I am, I'm curious if you have perspective on it. I got to talk to Molly Ringwald the other day, and she was talking to me about how when she was sort of in the Breakfast Club, Pretty in Pink thing that was happening, she knew. She knew there was like a, an attention on her 
in a way that um, I guess she was just conscious of it and she was able to reflect yeah. on it afterwards. Yeah. You've been working for a long time. You've been in big things, in small things. You've shown up yeah. in uh, 30 Rock was one of my favorite things you you, you showed up in, you know, just <laughs> randomly Paul Giamatti's in, 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 in 30 Rock. It does feel yeah. like with this best actor thing, you're being mentioned on a lot of podcasts and a lot of media. It mm. feels like a lot of eyes are on you right now. I can see you wincing slightly. How mm, no, no. <laughs> a, little bit. a little bit. I mean, you know, it's like why well, I'm not I'm not hugely in love with a ton of attention, but I mean I think it's interesting. I mean, you think about her doing that. She was what? She was a kid. Sixteen, I mean, yeah. Really was a kid. That's inconceivable to me to have this kind of attention on you when you're sixteen. It's bad enough being sixteen. And then all of this insanity on top of it. I think it's fortunate I'm fifty six years old. I have been doing it for a long time. I feel like I've, you know, I've 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 earned some some stripes and things like that. And I feel like it's nice. I mean, it, it's nice. It can get, it can be a lot. It can be a lot, but it's nice. And for the, for the first time in my life, I'm going, this is, this is very nice. I think I'm actually, it's a good time for me to be, to be experiencing something like this. I'm old enough to be able to go like, this is great and wonderful. And I'm still just going to be able to go home and, you know, hang out and have a sandwich and, and, Read a book. I, I um uh, the, the it's not just nice. The uh, I read you say that the Oscar nomination was um, something that made you feel like you've done the right thing with your life. I think that's what it is. I go. It feels like a good affirmation that I feel good about. So the attention feels I can take it because I'm saying to myself, okay, I did all right. I've done a good job, and people are being very nice about it. So just take it and accept it, and don't fight it, and just just. Just be happy with it. Uh, well, it's it's well deserved for this for this film. Um, I, I really enjoyed getting a chance to talk to you, man. Thanks so much for making yeah, the time. Yeah, thanks a lot. Appreciate uh, it. It's my conversation with the great Paul Giamatti, who I felt like I could have talked to him forever. Lovely, lovely dude. His new movie is called The Holdovers. It's out now, currently streaming on Peacock in the U.S. Uh, in Canada, you'll be able to find it on Prime Video starting February 24th. Paul will find out if he won that Best Actor Oscar when the awards air on March 10th. The other conversation, uh, one of the best TV shows I've seen in a while is The Vince Staples Show on Netflix. And I mean that. Uh, Vince Staples, really great rapper, one of my favorite rappers. Um, I don't know if that means anything to you, but my taste in, in hip hop, but like just an unbelievable uh, rapper, an unbelievable creative, doesn't ever really do what's expected of him. And you really see that in this new show. Anyway, you're going to hear us talk a little bit about that over on the podcast or wherever you got this one. We'll see you soon. Later on. For more CBC Podcasts, go to cbc.ca slash podcasts.